one of the key things when it comes to a dysfunctional relationship with food is that you intellectually know how you want to be with food, but you can't seem, despite your best efforts, despite doing a lot of mindset work, it just doesn't seem to click. You don't seem to be making the progress. Like you intellectually know, hey, this is what I want to do, or this is what I should be doing. But it's like, it feels impossible to get yourself to do certain things. And that's because we get into these patterns of uh, overthinking and overanalyzing and overintellectualizing a problem that's not just mental in nature, but it's also physical and biological. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to the podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. In fact, I think you have everything you need to live it out right in front of you. It's just learning how to do that. Now, today on the podcast, I have a special guest on who's going to talk about body image issues and really how to break free of food shame. Her name's Jessie Jean, and she is a mind-body eating coach who helps people rewire their brain to stop obsessing about food. Today on the show, we're going to talk more about those techniques as she shares some insight on creating food freedom. If you're like so many people out there, you too struggle with food issues. I think anyone in the health space at some level does, not just because of you, but because of the constant messaging we're bombarded with. So today we're going to break it all down as Jesse informs us on how to create food freedom. And as always, I share more about this podcast than all the other podcasts over at thelivingwell.com. Inside today's post, I'm going to be sharing some more practical tips that Jesse leaves us with on how to create food freedom in your own life, overcoming the struggle with body issues and food insecurities. So to get all those practical tips, make sure you head on over to thelivingwell.com. But for right now, let's welcome Jesse to the show. Well, welcome to the show, Jesse. I'm so excited to have you on and talk about food freedom, mm-hmm. which is a topic that I love so much. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you do a lot of work with food freedom. And um, as you we were talking about right before we got on the podcast, uh, you know, really creating the simplicity of helping people break through the analysis paralysis and the overwhelm that so many of us fear. Now, when people are coming, I think that we see a lot of people in the world today who really do want to break up with this food struggle that they have, Mm -hmm. but it's like, do I have a food struggle? Do I Mm -hmm. not? Like, where's this line? And how do you know if you're really struggling or if you're not struggling? You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, there's the whole group of people who are like, yeah, I have a problem. And then there's a lot of people who are like, maybe, maybe I don't. I don't know because there's so much confusion. (laughs) Totally. And I think there is – there's a lot of information out there and it can lead to a lot of overwhelm. And my hope is that um, those who are struggling in their relationship with food, one, know that uh, there's a really – 
uh, beautiful path you can take to find an easy, natural, normal, pretty much effortless relationship with food. Obviously, you know, food requires our, our energy and our effort. We have to think about it in order to plan a grocery list and have food on hand. There's some thought that has to go into it, but it gets to be relatively easy and natural if we can get back to how our bodies are designed. And I was asking myself that question many years ago when I was deep in my struggles with food. I was like, man, I don't know. Am I considered somebody who has an eating disorder or disordered eating? Um, You know, I I don't really know. I just know that I feel kind of anxious and neurotic with food. Sometimes I hide food and eat in secret. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll chew food and spit it out. Sometimes I'm hiding food at the bottom of the trash can, jumping from diet to diet, thinking about, you know, my next meal right after finishing my current one, feeling anxious and impulsive, snapping and, you know, binging or overeating, emotionally eating. But it is that a problem? It seems like everybody around me deals with the same thing. So it's just how it is. Um, And so it is really, really confusing. And there are different levels of struggle. There can be, you know, you can be in the camp where it's uh, very, very restrictive and you're white knuckling it. And uh, on the outside, you look like a quote unquote perfect eater. You eat very balanced in front of other people. People would have no idea that you're struggling with some anxiety and some overthinking around food. Um, And then, you know, you can be in the camp where you're, you know, continuously feeling like you're spiraling out of control and everything in the middle where, you know, you can restrict for a while and then you break and you're binge eating, you're emotionally overeating, and it's just this back and forth. And so I always tell people who are like, do I have a, do I uh, have a problem with food. And I say, if you're asking that question, there's probably some areas that could be improved upon. Um, and you're worthy of help. You don't have to have a diagnosable eating disorder to be worthy of healing your relationship with food. And in fact, most people who have challenges in their relationship with food are never diagnosed with an eating Mm -hmm. disorder. I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder. And there's very specific criteria that the DSM five, which is a diagnostic and statistical manual for, uh, you know, mental health disorders outlines in terms of what criteria you have to meet to be diagnosed with say binge eating disorder or anorexia or bulimia. But the reality is most people who struggle with their relationship with food fall into the category of an undiagnosable challenge because Mm -hmm. they exhibit so many different symptoms of dysfunction in their relationship with food. And so if you're asking the question, there's a high likelihood that there's some areas that uh, could use your attention. And there's a lot of resources out there to help you get back to how your body is designed and have a really natural and easy relationship with food that's anxiety-free. Yeah. I mean, I kind of look at the world, I'm like, how can we not have relationship issues with food Mm -hmm. considering the context in which we live? I think sometimes it's just like that stereotypical and, and, and I don't want to say this in a light way, because I think we've done a lot of work in the mindset space to open up doors, to make it not so, um, scary to admit maybe that we're struggling with something, but it is, it, it can feel so normal. Like the world tells us, but isn't that way of, of living and kind of worrying about your, your health and micromanaging what you eat. That's what we call healthy. So Mm -hmm. can you show us some of these differences of like, okay, this is what you're being told, but is that really healthy or is it not? Mm-hmm. Totally. Like what are some of those mixed messages that we're, we're receiving to help us kind of sort through like, this isn't normal or healthy. 
Yeah, totally. If we're having to, if you have any ounce of anxiety or neuroticism in your Mm -hmm. relationship with food, that's not healthy. I mean, it's just not. And it might feel normal because maybe your friends feel the same way or your parents were the exact same way or your you know your caregivers were always on a diet like it's not normal and it's not healthy to live that way no matter how common it is mm-hmm. and that's the problem is it's super common diet culture has impacted our parents it's impacted our friends it's impacted our medical field um and so we get it it becomes really confusing as to what's healthy but if we look at health holistically, our relationship with food, our bodies are designed to have that be as natural as our relationship to with, with our bowel movements and going to the bathroom. We don't judge ourselves when we feel an urge to go to the bathroom. We just take care of that biological need. Likewise, we have a biological need for food, yet there's so much, um, mental distortion around that. And we feel guilt and shame for feeling hungry. We feel like we've won if we've staved off hunger with, you know, eating air food like rice cakes or popcorn or drinking soda or chewing gum. And it's like denying our body's biological need for food and then getting out of sync with how the body works with food. It just becomes so dysfunctional and unhealthy. And then we have, you know, we're carrying around guilt and shame and fear of weight gain and all of these different things. And then, you know, our relationship with food turns into this very robotic, um, uh, thing where, you know, we're, we're following meal plans and we're counting our macros and we're counting our calories. And we're listening to all these external rules instead of what's actually healthy is having what's known as interoceptive awareness This is actually something that can be measured. Uh, Researchers can measure your level of interoceptive awareness, and that's simply your ability to sense what's going on inside of your body, to have an acute awareness as to, oh, I feel the sensation of hunger, or I feel the sensation of satisfaction, or I can feel when my heart rate is elevated. Some women can feel when they're ovulating. And so we can actually work to improve our levels of interoceptive awareness, which is connection with the body, Mm -hmm. and we're more connected with the body, we can actually work and flow with it if we trust our body. But so many people, diet culture has taught us that our bodies are not to be trusted. And you might feel that way because anytime you try to eat outside of your quote unquote plan, whatever that is, you maybe feel like you're spiraling out of control. And that's because your relationship with food has become so distorted and dysfunctional. But fortunately, there's a way to kind of undo all of that. And again, get back to how your body is designed, which is to do food pretty intuitively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, give us a picture of what this would look like, you know, because I think in the world we, we call things healthy. We still need to talk about food, right? It's not the Mm -hmm. avoidance of it. It's like, we're, it's like what uh, Brené Brown calls the near enemy. I talk about that a lot, right? Like we're almost there. We're so close. It's believable, but yet it's so extreme from what actually is health. So can you paint a picture of what, what does this look like to live this out? And maybe in your own story, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I come from a background of I struggled with binge eating and emotional eating um, and uh, pretty crippling body image insecurities for Mm -hmm. 
over a decade of my life. And uh, I was jumping from diet to diet and going really to the extremes. I went into um, competing in fitness and bikini competitions and, you know, really went hard down that road. And then I would rebound, I would gain all this weight back. And then I would feel so insecure in my body. And it was just constantly like, I, I never felt good enough, no matter how much weight I lost, no matter how thin I got, mm-hmm. I never felt good enough. And I always had this very robotic relationship with food. And it was filled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of shame and a lot of fear. And it took up so much time and so much mental real estate, so much energy to manage and control. And I was irritated. I'd be irritated with my loved ones if they wanted to, you know, uh, go out for dinner when that wasn't a part of my plan that week. It was like, oh, like I need to hit the gym and I need to stick to my macros. And I was just, I was neurotic with food. And Um, I remember the very first time I heard about intuitive eating, um, I was walking out of the gym with a friend of mine and he was explaining it to me and he said, I guess it's essentially like you just listen to your body. You eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. And we both just busted out laughing (laughs) at how ridiculous that sounded because I thought if I listened to my body, I would be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream every night. Like that's Uh just ludicrous advice. And I thought, okay, well, you know, sounds, sounds like a fairy tale, but that's just not, that's not going to work for me because anytime I would have a cheat day or I would, uh, allow myself to eat off plan, I very much so spiraled. It was, it was a binge fest. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of being able to just listen to my body and eat when I was hungry and stop when I was full and be able to naturally eat in a balanced way without listening to any set of really external rules was totally foreign. I thought, you know, that's just not for me. I'm just, uh, there's no way because I would feel these physical impulses to do things with food that I intellectually knew, Hey, I don't want to do this. I know this doesn't make me feel good, but I felt this compulsion to do it anyways. And so it was just this battle in my head and in, in my body and what it has since come to, what it has since looked like is through a lot of healing work, approaching healing my relationship with food holistically and understanding the different, I call them puzzle pieces Mm. to the food freedom recovery puzzle. Yeah. Um, By focusing on a holistic approach to healing, I have since been able to get to this point of being a successful intuitive eater, which means I wake up in the morning instead of my very first thought being, what do I weigh? What did I eat the night before? I need to step on the scale and see what I'm allowed to eat today because, you know, if it's gone up, I definitely need to kind of watch myself or I need to plan to work out harder, whatever. When I wake up in the morning, that's not my first thought. And that used to thoughts about food and my body image would plague me. Yeah. Took up so much mental real estate. So now I wake up in the morning and what I ask myself is what sounds good? Mm-hmm. What sounds good? And what what would feel good? And the misconception around intuitive eating is that, oh, it's the junk food diet. They eat anything and everything, whatever you want diet. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's about listening to your body and not only honoring what sounds good, but also what would feel good. And so I'm able to wake up, look in the fridge and go, you know what? I think this sounds good today. And I'm able to have a variety of protein, carbs, fats, sweet things. I'm able to have creamer in my coffee without having this whole fit inside. I'm able to have some, you know, some bread and some cookie butter and some eggs and whatever sounds good. And if I put too much on my plate, 
and I get full halfway through, I naturally lose interest in the meal and I stop without having to force myself to stop. I just lose interest Mm -hmm. in the food. And so some of you listening, you might know people in your life that have what you feel is a bizarre relationship with food because they're able to do things like that. You just know, you don't really think about it. They just, you know, if somebody's like, Hey, want to go to ice cream? They're like, "Eh, no, it's not. I think I'm good or sure. And it's no big deal to them. This is what intuitive eating is. And if you feel like this is kind of a far-fetched thing for you, I'm here to tell you that you can absolutely get back to this place, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of healing work that needs to be done. And so throughout my day, I don't have a rigid game plan of how many calories I can eat or what I'm allowed to eat or what I'm not allowed to eat. You know, I might have food that I've prepared the night before that I'm like, okay, you know, that's convenient to have that thing. But if somebody were to call and a friend was like, Hey, spontaneous lunch date, let's go. No big deal. I'm able to go. I'm able to order things off the menu without just sticking to the skinny menu. And, you know, if I get a burger and fries and I'm again, if I'm full halfway through, I naturally lose interest and there's just, it's easy. Mm -hmm. And And every day looks a little bit different as an intuitive eater because I really just go with the flow. Some days, you know, I might be expending more energy. Maybe I, you know, maybe I have a really busy day. Maybe I worked out that day and naturally I'm hungrier. And so I'm able to honor that and Mm -hmm. I'm able to listen to that. And again, it's really intuitive. It's not this, it's not guided by external, an external set of rules. And so I'm able, I'm also able as somebody who identifies as having a sweet tooth, I don't go crazy on sweets. Like I used to think that if I was an intuitive eater, I would just lose my shit on sweets. Yeah. And the reality is our bodies don't always want sweets. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell when I'm, you know, when I'm hungry for, uh, when I need more protein or when I want more vegetables, like I can feel it in my body and I'm able to honor that. So it's a really natural and easy approach to food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And I love the approach to intuitive eating. And yet at the same time, I feel like there, like you said, there's this whole host of healing that happens. And it's really hard for someone to understand who's in the midst of binging or diet cycles to really grasp onto this possibility. I want to paint that picture because I think the visualization that this is possible for everyone who's struggled, but it does take healing and there's work in the middle and sometimes that's messy. Yeah. What are some of these, these things that we talk about that are healing? Like what things do we need to heal? And that's a deep question and probably really personal for each and every one of us, but there is a healing process and almost a reprogramming of the brain that has to happen regarding food and why we go to food for, for regulation even of ourselves. Can you Mm -hmm. dig into some of those things that need healing and like some of the work that happens in that messy middle? Totally. So I actually just pulled up some notes. Um, So the healing journey is uh, it's multidimensional, a hundred percent. And so if you have ever approached or thought about healing your relationship with food. And maybe you've read a book, the book Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, or, you know, you've dove into some podcasts or you've kind of looked into this whole food freedom thing, intuitive eating world, and you've tried some of the things that you've heard and you felt like, man, maybe this isn't for me. I, it sounds good in theory, but I don't think it's for me. Understand that healing your relationship with food is multidimensional. And so, you know, if you are, if you're 
binging, if you're emotionally overeating, despite your best efforts to stop, I'm here to tell you one, you're not crazy. Um, yeah. It is multidimensional. And again, it's think about, think about achieving food freedom as mm. getting a, as putting together a puzzle and there's a number of puzzle pieces. And if you don't have the box mm-hmm. to see the finished picture, or you don't have all the puzzle pieces, it's really hard to put it together. And so you have to have all the puzzle pieces and you have to understand it's pretty multidimensional. So if you are, you know, some of the reasons why you might still be binge eating or emotionally eating despite your best efforts to stop are maybe you're engaging in some form of uh, physical dieting or food restriction. And just biologically, when we ignore our body's need for pleasure and satisfaction and enough food, our body will naturally send us Mm -hmm. um, signals and urges and impulses to eat. And so, you know, physical dieting and food restriction is, it, it leads to binge eating. And that's been shown in, in, countless bodies of research. And that's just the reality of it. You're, you might know, oh, I'm doing this for the purpose of weight loss, but the animalistic side of your brain and body is just, it just feels like you're, you're starving. And so Mm -hmm. it sends you these really strong signals to eat. Um, you might be engaging in what's known as mental restriction. And this is just, you you might not have any food rules or food restrictions. You give yourself permission to eat the things that you want. You're eating enough, but you might have, again, what's called mental restriction. And this is where you judge your food choices. There's guilt, there's shame, there's there's, uh, fear around food. And that can create a lot of dysfunction in our relationship with food. Maybe you are dealing with certain eating beliefs that need to be reprogrammed and challenged. And those eating beliefs can be, you know, your thoughts and your, uh, your feelings, your beliefs about food. They actually can trigger you to, um, to feel impulsive with food in a certain way. So you might have thoughts like eating makes me feel emotionally better, or I'll get fat if I eat X, Y, and Z food. And that those thoughts, it's so, it's so interesting how, you know, our behaviors work. Researchers believe that true behavior change is a product of belief change. Yeah, yeah, And so if we have these, these unsupportive beliefs, they lead us into unsupportive behavior patterns. Now, another reason that you might still be struggling with your relationship with food is body dissatisfaction or low self-esteem, which is for most people is a huge driver behind the desire to control food, but it completely backfires. It's, you know, negative body image is simply a preoccupation with how your body looks. It takes up so much mental real estate. It's absolutely exhausting. And it, you know, ironically, when we try to control food, food ends up controlling us. And so it just gets us in this really weird cycle. Another and often not discussed reason for binge and emotional overeating is a dysregulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. Now, our nervous system plays a really big role in almost every important function of the body, and it plays a role in how your body responds to certain stimuli. So if if your nervous system is dysregulated, our responses to certain stressors in our life may be reactive, it may be impulsive, um, and it may include a desire to numb out and dissociate. And so, so if your nervous system is 
kind of, and, and a lot of us have a dysregulated nervous system because we live in so much overstimulation yeah. um, and we're stretched thin and we're busy yeah. and our nervous system is really just having a hard time keeping up. Mm-hmm. So that can really impact eating behavior. And then the last two, uh, low emotional EQ or low emotional regulation skills um, can cause us to struggle to regulate, express, understand emotion. And then we often use food to cope, numb out, find an emotional relief. Then the last one is uh, the last puzzle piece that might be, you know, affecting your relationship with food is trauma. Emotional eating can become a coping mechanism to deal with painful memories. And so if we can look at kind of this, this healing journey from the lens of, okay, here's a handful of puzzle pieces, and maybe you've tried to tackle one or the other, but if we don't look at it holistically, you know, we're often we're, we're frustrated because we feel like we're spinning our wheels and not really getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always say in some of those, like what was once used as a tactic of survival in a lot of cases, you know, just a means to keep going to find what we're always looking for can become incredibly dysfunctional yeah. um, when we don't do like that deeper work. Mm-hmm. And those are all really great, like breakdowns of exactly what people and all the ways that people might be struggling. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can have issues with food. I wanted to take a brief break to tell you about the sponsors for this podcast. One of them is, of course, Element. Now, you know I love Element. It has become a staple in my daily routine, and I actually crave it. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research revealing that optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels two to three times the government recommendations. And each stick pack delivers a meaningful dose of these electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. It is formulated for anyone on a mission to restore health through healthy hydration. I personally have found so much benefit from using Element, including an increase in energy. And the reason this happens is because potassium and magnesium support the processes that convert stored energy into usable energy. Not to mention, they also help impact every energy-regulating hormone, maintaining fluid balance and blood pressure, regulating your heartbeat, promoting restful sleep, and so much more. Instead of needing an afternoon pick-me-up of food or another coffee, I find that a simple stick of Element helps do the trick that I need. It gives me that pep in my step and helps me get through the rest of the day. There are so many other health benefits, and I've written many of them over at The Living Well, where you can learn more about my own experiment using Element and what I found. So make sure you head on over to The Living Well to find that review, and also check out Element for yourself. And just for you, Element is offering to give you a free sample pack to try out every single one of their flavors that is exclusive for you. If you want to try Element out in order for yourself, head on over to drinkelement, that's drinklmnt.com backslash made for living well. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash made for living well to get that free sample pack today and try it out for yourself course, don't forget to head to the living well to get your review on element and all the other benefits you could find from using it in your everyday routine. And while you're at the living well, don't forget to sign up for the weekly fill. That is my weekly newsletter where I dive into more tips, tricks, and hacks that is exclusive to those subscribers. I'm telling you, this is where the good stuff happens. 
and also stories and practical tips that I can give you in the everyday life. We're talking about things like what to do when you're bad at health, how to make this simple, the only 10% of health that you need to know, and so much more. Again, you can find that at thelivingwell.com where you can sign up for the weekly fill. And with that, let's get back to today's show. And I want to go back to the nervous system regulation because we do talk a lot about that mm-hmm. on here and how people use food, like you said, to, to numb in a way or to shove. Um, what are some signs of nervous system dysregulation uh, that people struggle with? And sometimes just the awareness of those is like, oh, man, I'm dysregulated. And then what can we do to regain some sense of balance outside of trying to numb ourselves or disassociate with ourselves or, you know, Mm -hmm. all the patterns that have become so common. Totally. Yeah. So there's a lot of different signs of nervous system dysregulation. Our nervous system can be dysregulated when we're, um, uh, reactive. When you feel chronic stress and anxiety, you might have a dysregulated nervous system. If you are struggling with, uh, getting adequate sleep, maybe you're always exhausted, but you're, you're, we call it being, uh, wired, but tired. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like you're exhausted, but your brain just won't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, some signs, some other signs of nervous system dysregulation is that you often feel impulsive. You feel, uh, the desire to, you know, to do things to numb out. Um, I mean, there's so many different signs, but I think one of the, one of the key things when it comes to a dysfunctional relationship with food is that you intellectually know how you want to be with food, but you can't seem despite your best efforts, despite doing a lot of mindset work, it just doesn't seem to click. You don't seem to be making the progress. Like you intellectually know, Hey, this is what I want to do, or this is what I should be doing. Yeah. But it's like, it feels impossible to get yourself to do certain things. And that's because we get into these patterns of, uh, overthinking and overanalyzing and over-intellectualizing a problem that's not just mental in nature, but it's also physical and biological. And, you know, emotion and memory is stored in the cells of our body. And we physically like to, to get to the point in your relationship with food, where you feel a visceral difference, where you can go from, I understand this knowledge to, I feel feel it. Yeah. I get it. I feel a release of the impulse and the the reactiveness. You know, you also might have a dysregulated nervous system if you often are um uh dissociating mm-hmm. and wanting to kind of just unplug mentally and check out doom scrolling mm-hmm. where you just get into these modes of just like I either want to binge on Netflix or I want to doom scroll on my phone and just totally detach. It's totally okay to, you know, just want to chill out, but there's a difference there when you're really dissociating. And so there's different types of nervous system dysregulation. We can be in a state of hyper arousal, which is where it's energetically hot. There's a lot of excess energy. It's anxious. It's reactive. It's overwhelm. It's short tempered. It's irritability. It's intrusive thoughts. It's a lot of impulsiveness. And then we can also experience states of hypo arousal, which is where I kind of call it dropping into a zone where you're too cool. Like hyper is you're too hot. Mm-hmm. Hypo 
arousal is when you're in a state of nervous system dysregulation where you're just too cool. It's depressive. It's hopeless. It's the uh, lethargic energy, the dissociate dissociative energy. I just want to numb out. It's, you know, it's kind of the state of it's being in a more of a freeze state. Mm -hmm. And so what the goal is, the way that we, the, the goal with nervous system regulation is we want to get back to what's known as our window of tolerance. We want to get within the optimal arousal zone. So energetically, we want to be in a place where we are alert, but we're grounded. Mm -hmm. We are aware, we're present, but we're not reactive. We're able to take the the stimulus from around us in our day-to-day and we're able to process it in a healthy way without wanting to dissociate and numb out or become super reactive and act without thinking. And so if you find yourself either hyper aroused or hypo aroused frequently, it might mean you have a very small window of tolerance, which means you are having a hard time navigating life. Like yeah, the stressors yeah. of life are overwhelming you. And those who, if you know somebody in your life who is, um, they just seem to be laid back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just, it's hard to ruffle their feathers. Those people might have what's known as a wider window of tolerance. Like it just takes a lot to get them going, to get them riled up. And that's actually a very good quality because they're able to, it's not that they handle less bullshit. We all handle it, but it's that it affects them differently. They're able to kind of roll with the punches. And so there's, you know, there's nervous system regulation techniques we can practice to widen that window of tolerance. So we're less susceptible to different states of nervous system dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some ways in our everyday life that we can learn to regulate? Mm, Yeah. Well, first we have to pay attention. So we have have to start noticing our tendencies. Mm. And so awareness is the first step to healing Mm -hmm. anything. So I always say this, people who are like, how do I regulate my nervous system? And I go, okay, well, think about this nervous system. And I hate how, um, uh, confusing it feels for many people. And I'm, I'm so passionate about demystifying the healing journey. So to break it down super tangibly, when you think, when you hear anybody, whether it's me or whether, you know, whether it's Alexa, whoever it is, when you hear people talking about nervous system regulation, just think body oriented techniques, mindset work is incredibly important, but you cannot, you know, there's no amount of mindset work that will override a dysregulated nervous system. And so So when you think about nervous system regulation, think about getting in touch with your body and, and there's all different types of healing modalities and somatic work and somatic healing modalities have to deal with the body. And so what's so cool about doing nervous system regulation work is you actually give your very tired and worn out mind a break and you Mm -hmm. just get to go into your body. And the best way to describe this is if, if you've worked out ever in your life, you know how good you feel after a workout. You know how relieved you feel. Your mindset is totally different. That's because moving our body is a form of nervous system. It helps our nervous system regulate. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's all different types of body oriented techniques that can help the body feel more grounded or feel more alert. If it's dissociating, there's all different types of strategies and nervous system regulation protocols that you can practice to support your body feeling good, feeling grounded, feeling calm, feeling cool, feeling collected, feeling present, feeling engaged in life. And so 
There's techniques from, you know, you can practice daily breath work techniques. You can mm-hmm. practice um, uh, havening is a, t- a psychosensory technique where you essentially touch your body in a way that helps stimulate different nerves in your body, meaning you know, rubbing your hands back and forth together, uh, rubbing your um, hands down the sides of your arms, almost stimulating the feeling and sensation of a hug. Uh, cold exposure is a great nervous system regulation technique, whether that's cold showers or cold immersion, or splashing cold water on your face, or dipping your hands in cold water and breathing through kind of the pain of that. That helps the nervous system regulate um, the aromatherapy. Anything that stimulates our body in, in a physical sense can help our nervous system regulate and ground itself. And so when somebody is getting started in nervous nervous system regulation, I say, okay, step one is awareness. Pay attention to the moments throughout your day that you either start to become reactive mm-hmm. and you're getting emotionally hot or you're starting to unplug, disassociate and getting too energetically cool, if you will. And in those moments, think about what can I do right now to become more alert and and properly energized, but grounded. Mm-hmm. And so I think breath work is a great place to start because you can do it anywhere and everywhere. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't require anything except you and your body. And so a technique, I'll give you a tangible technique is, um, just a breath work pattern called the box breath. And so this can help when you are, I'll give you two different techniques that you can start using. So if you're in a state of hyper arousal, you're reactive, you're overworked, you're, you know, you're just having a lot of intrusive thoughts, anxious, yeah. whatever. The box breath is really simple and you can just do this for, you know, five breaths and it's think, picture a box in your mind. And if you're drawing a box, the, the, when you're, you know, drawing a vertical line, you're going to breathe in for four. And then at the top, you're going to hold for a count of four. Then you're going to exhale for four and hold for four. And so it just goes something like, and then you hold two, three, four and exhale And then you hold at the bottom for four counts and repeat. And you do that for five to 10 breaths when you're feeling activated before you react to a situation and you're going to ground yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're one who tends to go more into a state of hypo arousal and you're just, you you know, you're lounging on the couch or you're disassociating at work and now you're doom scrolling or whatever it is, the circular breath is an upregulation technique to help stimulate some energy to help bring you back up. And that's just inhale through the nose and a forced pressed exhale out the mouth. Continuous. You do that for 10. You're going to feel tingly. You're going to feel energized. You're going to feel a little bit more awoken. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, starting with just using breath work throughout the day, when you notice you're getting hyper or hypo aroused can help you regulate. Yeah. Yeah. Those are such great techniques. And they're free. <laughs> like, totally. you know, like this isn't stuff that you have to have all the resources for. These are just quick, easy things that you have. Yeah. We all have the avail- availability to, which is what I love so much about this. Um, now you mentioned giving your mind a break. So when we're talking about nervous system regulation, <clears throat> you want to basically, how would you describe where your mind goes in that? Mm-hmm. So many people struggle on their healing journey with food freedom, with with 
you know, healing in general, because they keep over intellectualizing the process Mm -hmm. and overthinking it. And they think if I do more, 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 Mm -hmm. if I read more, if I accomplish more, if I get more checked off my to-do list, I'm going to finally get there and arrive. And so many are so exhausted and they're tired and they're worn out. And so what we have to understand about the healing journey is that sometimes it doesn't need to be intellectualized. It doesn't yeah. need to be dissected. It doesn't need to be, um, you know, if you've been in therapy for years, when people tell me they've been in therapy, I, my husband and I go to therapy and we've been in therapy for years as a means of, um, uh, learning commu- more communication and talking through different challenges and having a third party present, but we're constantly talking about and working through different things and kind of being proactive. Um, but when people tell me they've been in therapy for years for the same thing, mm-hmm. that's what I'm like, okay, that's that it, it's not working then yeah, because yeah. you, you are probably sitting there with your therapist and you're talking and you're over intellectualizing the whole thing and your body is just there going, Hey, I need support. And so giving the, giving your mind a rest can be really therapeutic in the healing journey where you're able to learn different nervous system regulation protocols and somatic healing protocols that just allow you to get into your body and out of your mind and, and kind of just give the mind the rest that it really, really needs. And a really important part about healing as well, that seems passive, but is actually, it takes effort for most of us. And that's the component of play, pleasure, and rest. Mm, So many of us are just stuck in a constant- the great parts of life yes, <laughs> that we yeah. think are so hard. Yeah. Yes. Um, I like the concept that I learned uh, from a therapist, Andy Kolber, about um, instead of trying harder, can we learn to try softer? Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of healing in that. And most of us have been conditioned to believe that the harder we try, the further we get. But I, I don't have it with me right now. It's over on another table. But Think about, have you ever stuck your finger in one of those uh, finger traps where Mm -hmm. you put your finger in and you pull apart and the harder you pull, the harder it is to get out. Mm -hmm. That's what many people are doing in their food freedom journey. And, you know, my approach, my method is, hey, what if we, what if we push those fingers together and we learn how to try a little bit softer so we can get out of this challenge in a way where we actually begin to experience a physical difference, Mm -hmm. um, And so part of that is learning, you know, body oriented techniques alongside the mindset work and the educational components, but just your mind needs a rest. If you're tired, you know, it it needs a rest. Yeah. 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 When we keep talking about this healing process, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, as you mentioned before in this podcast, who are like, okay, but if I do, if I get into intuitive eating, like you said, I'm going to binge all the things, or does that completely disconnect me from still wanting to lose some weight? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes it feels like you either are losing weight and dieting, or you just are living in this, this world of body positivity, which is like, just be content at any size. Like, where's the balance in that and really coming to a place where you're starting from the right place? Yeah. Uh, And that's a great question. And it's a great, uh, so many people have this concern um, and it's entirely valid. Uh, I want to feel good in my own skin. I want to feel empowered. I want to feel strong. I have fitness goals and they're all allowed. They're valid. They're, you're allowed to have those things. I just always say, you know, 
you can't, you have to bake your cake in the right order. You can't throw all the ingredients of a cake into a pan before mixing it, pop it in the oven and expect it to turn out. Likewise, if you have a dysfunctional relationship with food and your body, that needs to be the priority. And as you focus on that, you, and, and you heal those things, you can then pursue your fitness goals from a fundamentally different place. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that's, what's really important. Mm-hmm. And it can be really scary, um, you know, to get started on the healing journey, but knowing that you really can have it all, um, it's just a matter of baking your cake in the right order is, is a really mm-hmm. important message. Yeah. I love that, uh, that analogy because it, it makes so much sense. You know, like a yeah. lot of these things are really good things, but when approached from the wrong angle or from the mm-hmm. wrong motive, it can be harmful and really bad. Totally, um, totally. Yeah. So I also think in this, in this message, you know, I get a lot of like, oh, that's a really triggering message message. And even when we talk about eating disorders, you know, people are always, you know, we're, we're getting triggered, but in all fairness, we're kind of living in a world that's trying to remove as many triggers, or there's a lot of talk about, you know, don't eat or don't have those foods on hand if you're triggered by them. Don't do this. But that feels like a really unrealistic way to live in the scope of life. <laughs> there's always going to be something out there that's tripping our nervous system, dysregulating us, trying to pull us out of balance. What is your take on on this concept of what do we do with our triggers? Like, do we try to escape them or how do we approach them? I think that's a big issue because that is what ultimately is tripping a lot of people up and making us fall into old patterns. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to be able to avoid all the things that trigger us. And instead, I think just getting curious about what's triggering you, about what's mm. activating you. Yeah. And it's okay to be triggered. It's okay to be activated. We don't have to fear it, especially mm. when we are connected with ourselves and we understand how to support ourselves and how to meet our own needs. So many of us don't understand how to meet our physical, our emotional, our mental, our spiritual needs. And when you become more connected to your body and empowered with it. You know, you can notice, like I can notice sometimes if I'm around certain people, I'm like, oh man, that they activated me. And sometimes I like to even let go of the word trigger because I think it has such a negative connotation. It's like, no, I just, you know, they activated me. And instead of feeling like I I need to go into fight or flight or start to freeze up, I'm like, I just get curious about it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, what about this situation is activating me and why, and what do I need right now? Do I need a little bit of distance from the situation? Do I need to take a minute and just breathe and regulate my own nervous system and remind myself you're safe? You're okay. There's nothing to fear here. You don't need to take that comment personally. You know, just, I have to be, we all have to be aware of the stories that we tell ourselves. And so when it comes to being triggered by foods and whatnot, you're absolutely right. It is entirely unrealistic to get rid of all of the quote unquote triggering foods. We need to make peace with those foods. Mm -hmm. And so trail mix used to be a huge one for me. I could not keep a bag of trail mix in the house because I could eat the whole gallon bag Mm -hmm. and then feel swollen and sick to my stomach. Um, and through the process of healing my relationship with food, I I'll forget that I have trail mix in my, you know, in my mm-hmm. pantry, but it, and sometimes it goes stale. It's in there so long because I've done the work to not let that be something triggering anymore. And so that's kind of the, the important thing to remember is like, you know, we need to look at our triggers and we need to go, let's, let's go ahead and 
tackle them and uh, we don't have to fear them. And we also need to have the wisdom to know you don't need to be overwhelmed by them. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to stock your pantry with all the off limits foods and try and make peace with it and then feel completely out of control. Like there's protocols and there's, you know, approaches that can be slow and controlled and feel a lot more comfortable. But yeah, I don't think triggers are anything to fear. They're just little messages from, you know, the world around us of, to, to look inward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Like asking yourself the questions of why yeah. is this making me feel this way? And, you know, finding a different alternative to that path of falling into just believing the triggers are always wrong. And I think that comes to the point in healing when we see people who are quote unquote healed or living in their healthiest state, I think that there's a big misconception that they don't struggle anymore with the mm -hmm. things that you know, maybe prevented them from getting to that point so long ago. Um, in my own journey, that hasn't been the case of where I'm like, I don't quote unquote struggle sometimes. Um, but I feel like the struggles are different. Like they don't have as much power. Wh what do you think about that? Like, what does this arrival mm -hmm. look like? Because I think it's for a lot of us, we think it's just this state of perfection where we're not triggered and we're not living in all these, um, old mindset patterns. And yeah, what does it look like for you? Yeah. So I, I think that most of us get it wrong in terms of seeking a destination. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we gotta, we gotta let go of the destination. It really, healing really is a journey and food freedom. You will, you will achieve various levels of food freedom as you continue in your own process. Like it will get easier and easier. Your relationship with food will get more and more balanced, more and more intuitive, more and more normal, easy, effortless, but it unfolds in what I like to call levels. Um, and the, but the thing is the thing, the message that I want to send is that, you know, healing is a lifelong journey. Self-development is a lifelong journey, but you can turn the page on this chapter with food and food being a struggle. And I think there are a lot of mixed messages around this, but I've worked with so many individuals over the last five years of doing this specifically who have really gotten to the place where they have turned the page on their struggles with food and food's no longer the issue. And for most people, it never was the issue. Yeah. There's things beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to body image, um, you know, there are, there are days where I'm, you know, our bodies are constantly changing. I'm currently, um, 32 weeks pregnant. I've seen my body change in so many different ways. And, you know, there can be times where I look in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, I don't even recognize myself or I don't like what that looks like or what that looks like. And I might be triggered in the sense of, you know, I don't feel my best that day, but what's happened is through the work that I've done, you know, my self-perception is so much more, it's, it's expanded. It's not just the way that I look. Mm -hmm. And so why I'm, why I might feel a little sting here and there when I see a picture or whatever, it no longer impacts my behaviors with food. Mm -hmm. I'm really able to just let it go and know that my value is so much more than my body. And so, yeah, th this journey takes it takes time. And I always want to be very realistic in the time that it takes to heal these challenges with food. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but if you commit to the journey, there is so there are so many moments that are going to feel like just a sweet release of these struggles and the pains. And like you said, it the challenges evolve. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you see, okay, maybe it never was about the food and the food, the food stuff usually is what gets for most people, the food challenges are what get easier first. And then we're still working on the self-esteem, the confidence and the body image work yeah. well beyond f the food stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. What are a few ways people can get started? And like, what would it look like to live more confidently today? Mm, Such a good question. Um, I get this question a lot. Where do I even begin? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is such a fair question because it is a process and I want it to seem very approachable and very, very simple. And like, you can just, you just dive in and you just get started. Mm -hmm. And what I always say is, look, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be some magic formula, but if you can begin to commit 15 to 20 minutes a day to active recovery work, meaning you're either diving into a book or you're listening to a podcast on food freedom, or, you know, you're plugging into a recovery group or whatever it is. If you can dedicate 15 to 20 minutes a day to begin learning what you need to learn, all the various different puzzle pieces that need to come together, and then you start plugging in and connecting with the right people. And I try, again, try and make this really tangible. If you can get five to 10 minutes to being plugged in to the right community every single day and getting plugged into food freedom communities, you're going to be off to a really good start. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot you need to learn. And knowledge is not power with application. You need to apply the things that you learn. But that's kind of a good place to start. And, you know, I, for many years I've been doing, um, I I have a program, a comprehensive program, the food freedom online program, and that's a deep dive four month holistic approach to healing. And some people just aren't ready for that. And that's entirely okay to not be in a place where you're ready to kind of jump jump in head first and go straight into all of this recovery stuff. Some people are exhausted and they're just like, I am ready. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful if you feel at that point. But if you don't, you can still get started on healing by just dipping your toes in. And so actually a project that I've been uh, working on really hard this last year is a Hungry for Recovery. It's a 23-day jumpstart journey for the person who's just looking to have the 30,000-foot overview and get started in creating momentum building out a food freedom a food freedom approach that they can follow on their mm-hmm. own and so you know that's a resource for you but there's so many resources out there whether it's my resources or books or podcasts just get started mm-hmm. and don't put the expectation on yourself that you have to change everything right away just start getting into the right places the right communities and getting the right information and be patient with yourself in the process because it's going to take some time but if you're getting the right support and accountability you're, you're going to progress and it's messy and it's imperfect and messy, imperfect action gets results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Such good information, but Mm -hmm. where can we learn more about your program and the work that Mm -hmm. you do? Yeah. Well, I also podcast. So if you're listening to this, I guess you're a podcast listener. Uh, my podcast is called the Dear Body Podcast. And I talk about all of this and more. So many different nuances and aspects of healing, binge eating, emotional eating, body image challenges, you know, pursuing fitness goals. Uh, I talk about all that stuff over on the Dear Body Podcast that can be found on all podcast platforms. And then if you're interested in, uh, you know, kind of diving in a little bit to your own recovery journey and you want something like a 23 day jump start uh that uh is hungry for recovery that's the name of the program and you can find that at hungryforrecovery.jessi j e s s i gene j e a n.com um and yeah that that program runs a few times a year like i said 23 days kind of just get a 30,000 foot overview you get daily action steps bite-sized videos to help you get started 
included in the process and really feel confident that you know where you're headed in your food freedom journey. And the goal of that program is to take you from feeling maybe stuck and in a state of analysis paralysis into feeling more unstoppable, like the confusion has been lifted, like you really understand how recovery works and all the different components and puzzle pieces. So um, that's where I can be found. And then I hang out on sometimes I've been very absent, um, but I am <laughs> on Instagram and TikTok as well at Jesse J E S S I Jean J E A N N N three N's. Um, so yeah, I'm I hang out over there as well. So that's where I can be found. I will make sure and link all of that up in the show mm-hmm. notes. Um, and set it out in my weekly newsletter. I appreciate you being here so much and Mm -hmm. your wealth of knowledge in this area. And I am thrilled to continue watching what you put out and I will make sure and share this with all of my listeners. So thank you so Mm -hmm. much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Alexa. That is it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you loved it as much as I did. Don't forget to go follow Jessie and find all of her work. I have it all linked up in the show notes at thelivingwell.com. In the meantime, I will see you back here for the next episode. See you soon.